Good morning and happy new year 2021. How many of you are happy to see 2020 kind of go? And then 2021 hit and we realized that it was just the 13th month of 2020 and the chaos is still here. But anyway, man, I'm excited. We missed you guys the last couple weeks if you weren't able to join us online last Sunday, but we missed you guys. And it's nice to be back together in person, see your faces and, and begin the year together. I'm excited to start a brand new series with you guys today, going along with our theme for 2021, which is Stand Strong. How many of you got a wristband when you came in today? If you didn't get it, make sure you grab one of those on your way out to kind of remind you about our theme for this year. But our, our main scripture verse that we're finding this theme from and, and kind of exploring this year is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And it says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It goes on to say in the next couple verses, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. How many of you understand, if you're a follower of Christ, that there is a battle going on? How many of you understand that there is a war that is often unseen that is going on? And if you're a follower of Christ, God has enlisted you into his army. He's enlisted you as a, as a soldier, and you are called to stand strong and to fight this battle. But the good news is you don't fight in your own strength and power. You have God's power at work in and through you. And so our, our heart's desire this year is, is no matter what the circumstances look like in the world, no matter what's going on, that our church would be full of believers who are ready to fight, who stand strong, who continue to press on no matter what is going on around them. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at portions of the book of Daniel as we talk about this theme, Stand Strong. And what I, I believe we're going to see over these next few weeks is that the Word of God, although it is an old book, it's a timeless book. That this is a timely series for what we're going through in our, in our church, for what we're going through in our world, uh, in our country specifically, that God is going to show us. What we're going to see in Daniel's life is there is a lot of similarities in what Daniel went through and how he lived for the Lord in his world and his time, that what we're going through and experiencing in our world at our time. And so before we get into the God's word this morning, let's just open up with prayer. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we invite you into this place today. We thank you so much for this opportunity we have to look at your word. God, I pray that we would be people who are full of your spirit. We would be people who have determined, no matter what we, we, we experience in life, that we're going to stand strong for you. We're going to allow your Holy Spirit to work in and through us. God, I pray over these next few moments as we look at your word, that your word would transform us. You would challenge us in areas where we've compromised, God, that you would, you would do what only you can do in our lives, that we wouldn't leave here the same way we came here today. We would be changed by your word and your Holy Spirit. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, how many of you know that we live in a world that is constantly trying to get us to conform and to kind of fit in? How many of you ever experienced that? You've experienced some kind of peer pressure or pressure from, from the outside that's kind of maybe tried to get you to change and to kind of fit its mold. Maybe even family and friends in your life that have kind of get you to, to make decisions or to do things that maybe aren't that bad of things but are slight compromises in your life. From a spiritual standpoint, you know that you shouldn't. But there's constantly this pull to try to be something different, to kind of fit in with the mold. And if you don't, you're called all kinds of names, right? If you don't fit exactly in the mold. And the reality is, it happens all the time. We deal with this all the time. And typically, we respond to the pressure in one of three ways, right? We either just conform, 
We just kind of fit in. How many of you ever seen people like that? We just kind of fit in. They, they're, they're Christians. They maybe say they're Christians, but it's in, it's in title only. If you look at their life, the way they live their life, the way we live our lives, no different than anybody else. We kind of just fit right in. We're chameleons, so to speak. We don't want to stir the pot too much, so we just kind of fit in. We, we either do that or we go to the extreme opposite of that, right? So we don't conform. We just simply isolate. Have you met somebody like that? It's like, listen, this world is messed up. I'm just going to avoid everything. I'm going to avoid anybody. I'm not going to have conversations with people who don't agree with me, talk like me. Like, I grew up as a pastor's kid. Uh, my whole life, I was a pastor's kid. I've been a pastor's kid. And, and we used to go to this thing called Pastor's Kids Camp. Um, yeah, it was a, a pastor's retreat full for, of pastor's kids. And... Um, and typically at this pastor's kids retreat, there was two types of pastor's kids. There was like the pastor's kids that were the pastor's kids. You ever heard, like you hear the stories about the pastor's kids growing up? They're all the bad stories, the pastor's kids. And then you had the pastor's kids that wore the Christian t-shirts and were definitely homeschooled. And they had the tube socks pulled up all the way and you could spot them, right? Like you, can you, can you guess which group I fit in? All right. You've heard the stories. We were not necessarily in group B, the good pastor's kids. We were the pastor's kids that they told the stories about. And, uh, but it was funny. When we go to this pastor's kids retreat, we used to joke because we'd pull into the town. We usually would stop for, for, for lunch before we'd get to the camp. And we'd be at this restaurant there, and you could just spot them. You're like, that kid's going to pastor's kids camp, and he's in group B, right? That, that kid is going to avoid hanging out with me at pastor's kids camp because their parents warned them about me beforehand, right? Like, they're the, the isolate group. They go to the exact full opposite. They're not going to be tainted, uh, stained, and, 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 and they're not going to be messed up by the world at all. They're just going to avoid it. Their hope is just to get to heaven without having been interfered with any of those sinners. Then you got the third way, the way that we see Daniel. He was determined to stand out. He was determined to stand out for the right things in the right way. He understood that God had called him to be in the world, but not of the world, that he had been put there to make a difference, right? That's what we're called to do, to be set apart. The way we live our lives as followers of Christ should look drastically different than the way the world lives their lives, right? Our, 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 our values should be different. Our identity is different. Our purposes in life should be different. The things that we find most important, the way that we spend our time and our money, all of that should look drastically different than the way the world lives. In fact, the Bible says this about us in Matthew chapter 5. It says this. It says, you are the salt of the earth. Come on, how many of you like to put a little salt on your food? How many of you put salt on before you taste your food? I don't care. I don't, even, I don't even need to guess. It needs salt. Salt is always going to make it better. I put it on, on everything except for fruit because that's weird. Um, some of you do, and it's weird, right? But I, I put salt on everything. Why? Because salt enhances. It makes everything taste better. That's what it's for, right? It preserves. It says, you're the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can it be made salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Then he goes on to say, you're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop, that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It says the way you live is important. If you say you're a follower of Christ, if you identify yourself as a follower of Christ, the way you live your life is important. You are called to be salt, enhancing and making the world around you better. You are called to be light, shining and illuminating a dark world. And it's not about you. It doesn't say let your good deed shine out so somebody could praise you and tell you how awesome you are. It says let your good deed shine out so they can praise your heavenly Father. We're called 
to stand out. And as we look this morning at Daniel chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Daniel chapter 1. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen. You can follow along on, your, on the app if you'd like. We're going to be talking about how do we stand out in a world of fitting in. How do we stand out in a world of fitting in? Now, just to give you a little bit of the backstory here so you kind of understand where we're at in, in history, in Daniel chapter 1, the nation of Israel, they were God's chosen people. We see all throughout the Old Testament. They were God's chosen people. God made a promise or a covenant with them that if they would obey him, follow his commands, live for him, then he would protect them and be with them wherever they went. If they didn't do this, it was always trouble for them. And all throughout the Old Testament, if you read it, we see stories and times where there was good seasons. They were following God, enjoying his blessings and his, and, his, and his hand in their life and in their nation. And then there was bad times where they would turn away from God. They would worship false idols, do other things, rebel against God, and they would deal with the consequences of their rebellion. And oftentimes God would send prophets and judges to kind of warn them. They would repent and turn back. God would restore them for a season. Things would be good. And then they would go back into the cycle. It was this kind of endless cycle that they were experiencing. This point in history, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms, a northern and a southern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. The kingdom of Israel had been destroyed and overtaken at this point in history that we're at, and the kingdom of Judah is all that's left of the people of God established. The people of Judah, though, they continued to have bad leadership, bad kings who would lead them away from God towards following the things of the world, worshiping foreign idols, things like that. And they were warned time and time again by different prophets, prophets like Jeremiah saying, listen, if you don't turn away, if you don't turn away from your idol worship, if you don't turn back to God, it's not going to go well for you. This is not going to be good. God prophesied that they were going to be overtaken by this nation called Babylon, that they would lose everything, that they would be taken as slaves and exiles into a foreign land, and that they would be exiled there for 70 years because of their rebellion. And in Daniel chapter 1, we're looking at today, we see this exact thing taking place. Verse 1 and 2, it says this, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. What happens here is exactly what God said would ha happen. God allowed it to happen. Do you see that in there? God was not, like, it's not like they, they, they beat God up in this situation. God allowed to happen exactly what he said was going to happen because of their refusal to turn back to God. He allowed it to happen. King Nebuchadnezzar was an evil king and the, the ruler of the most powerful emperor in the, rule, in the world at that time. This took place in around 605 BC. This was the first of, of three attacks on the city of Jerusalem. He eventually would show up and completely destroy and burn down the city. He would completely destroy the temple, but this time he just took them some things from the temple, took them back to his God, and essentially what he did by doing this is he is taking these idols, putting them in his false God's temple, and essentially it was his way of saying, my God is better than your God. My God is stronger than your God. The worship of your God is no more because I have won the victory. My gods have won the victory over your gods. Then not only did he destroy their their present circumstances and situation, he had a plan to destroy their future 
as well. And so what we see in these next few verses, he, he basically says to his leaders, go find the best of the best of Jerusalem. Go find the best of the best of the people of Judah. Bring them back to me. I'm going to indoctrinate them into the Babylonian culture. I'm going to train them to work for me. They're going to be future leaders in my government. I'm going to completely eradicate the best leaders you have, and I'm going to make them serve my kingdom and build my empire. See it happening in the next few verses. It says, then king, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, which can we all agree is a terrible name, especially if he was in eighth grade, his chief of staff to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. I definitely make the cut. <laughs> it's not, not true. I just imagine, though, they're like picking the people out, like, you're in, you're in, you're out, right? Like, that would have been a bad thing. That would, like, everybody got picked last in sports and gym. This would have been like that. Um, not good. Select the best, healthy, strong, good-looking young men. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in language and the literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his kitchens. They were trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. How do we stand out in a world of fitting in? What do we learn from these young men in their lives? What are we going to learn from them? The first thing, if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing we're going to see in their lives, the, the reason they were able to stand out in a world of, of, of fitting in was that they knew their true identity. You gotta know your true identity if you're gonna stand out in a world of fitting in. I want you to see something about this story, right? This was a very intentional and strategic plan to indoctrinate these young boys into the customs of this foreign land, right? To, to kind of eradicate their history and get them to only identify as Babylonians, right? He, he did some, some, some really strategic things here. He would take specifically the young and the best of the best, right? Easier people to, to kind of manipulate into influence. He would remove them from all of the other authorities and influences in their life. No more parents, no more godly influences in their life. Keep to take them away from those people, surround them just with other young people just like them, and only people that they were surrounded by that were adults were the Babylonians. They would take them to a a foreign environment and isolate them away from everybody else. Then they would give them a free education, teach them, train them, make them feel like they were indebted to the people of Babylon. Then they would offer them the best of the best food. They didn't just give them some rations, they gave them the king's food, the best that the king could have, the best wine, the best food. They would tempt them with leadership and future riches if they would serve in the kingdom of Babylon. And then they took away their identity the one thing about them that continued to align them and, and be a reminder of them of who they were. The, these, these young men, their names all had spiritual significance and reminders of who they were to the God of Yahweh. And they took these names and they changed them to names that signified service to their false gods. Daniel's name meant God's prince or judge, changed to Belshazzar, which means Bel's prince, one of their false gods. Hananiah meant mercy of Yahweh, Changed the Shadrach, which means command of Aku, who is the moon god. Michelle, who is what God is? Meshach, who is like Aku? 
Azariah, whom Yahweh helps, to Abednego, servant of Nagu. All of these foreign gods, they completely changed it. Everything about them, their identities down to their name was being changed and influenced. The king wanted them to think like Babylonians thought, to behave like Babylonians behaved, to believe what Babylonians believed, which I think really mirrors the way that Satan often tries to influence us. The Bible says that we have a, a real enemy who's very sneaky, Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 9, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in faith. Satan is sneaky. He's deceptive. He's constantly prowling around looking for, for weaknesses, looking for ways to, to change us. He's constantly attacking our identity, trying to get us to, to think differently than who we are called to be in Christ. He wants us to think like he thinks and behave like he behaves and, and believe the same thing that he believes. And if you're gonna stand out, it starts with knowing who you are in Christ. Why? Because knowing who you are, it determines what you do. You understand that? Like when you know who you are and you're confident in who you are, it, it determines your actions, it determines your thoughts, it determines what you, what you find most important. Knowing who you are determines what you do. But if you're, if you're compromised, if you aren't confident in who you are, if you're not confident in your identity, you'll constantly be swayed to believe different things about you. You'll constantly be swayed to believe lies and what culture and what Satan tries to tell you about you. And eventually, because your identity is at the center of who you are, you start to act like your identity. You start to believe like your identity. You start to respond to your identity. You need to know who you are. It starts with being confident of your true identity. And the Bible has a lot to say about who you are in Christ. I wanted to share a portion of this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. It says this, it says, You are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you, ready, this is important. I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give glory to God when he judges the world. He says, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are God's very own possession, purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's all happened so that you can show the goodness of God to a dark world, so that you can be light that leads people out of darkness into God's glorious light. He says, you are temporary residents here. We've talked about this when we looked at the book of James. He says, you are, you are aliens in this world. Your citizenship is not to this world first and foremost. It's to the kingdom of God. Remind yourself constantly of your identity. He says, live honorable lives. Do the right thing. Make the right decisions. Even if people claim you've done the wrong thing, they'll still heap praises on God when he comes to judge the world, when they see your honorable behavior. Think back to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for a second. Everything that has taken place in their life has happened to completely change their identity. Everything was designed to undermine their Jewish heritage and identity with the Babylonian identity. And the crazy thing is they didn't fight these things. They didn't revolt when they tried to teach them a new language. They didn't revolt when their names were changed. Essentially, they were like, you can call me whatever you want to call me. I know who I am. The reality is we have two choices when it comes to th this world. We will either conform or we will be transformed by Jesus. 
Those are the only two choices, really. You will either conform to the world or be transformed. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We will either conform to the world, thinking like the world, acting like the world, looking the exact same as the world, or will be transformed by God. He changes the way we think. And when we're transformed by God, he says, then you will know God's will for your life, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. We need to know who we are. We need to understand our identity. Starts there. The next step we see when it comes to standing out, number two, we need to determine to honor God above all else. Determine to honor God above all else. At some point when it comes to standing out, you're gonna to have to make a choice. You're gonna be brought to that place in your life where you have to choose, am I gonna live my life above everything else? Am I gonna live my life to honor God? At some point, you're gonna to have to come to a place where you draw a line in the sand and say, this is not the area where I'm gonna compromise. There might be other areas which aren't necessarily scripture things that aren't necessarily sinful or you know, right and wrong things, but this is the area that I'm going to have to draw in the line and say, a line in the sand and say, I'm not gonna go this far. And we see this happening in verse eight. I believe the key verse for this whole first chapter, it says this, but Daniel was determined. Another version that says, but Daniel resolved in his heart not to defile himself by eating the food that was given to them by the king. And he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Why? Why was this the place that he drew a line in the sand? Why was this the place where he decided to, to kind of revolt? At first glance, it doesn't really maybe make that much sense. Like, we don't have these different dietary laws. We don't have these different restrictions. Like kind of like fair game, right? Like, if you want to eat a cow, you eat a cow, right? Like, somebody could be like, I'm vegan. You shouldn't eat that. I'd be like, I don't care. I'm not you, and I'm going to eat the cow. Like, we don't have the same restrictions, right? We do, we eat, we eat food, we enjoy food, we like food. But they had different restrictions. And essentially, we, Daniel was saying this. He did not object to the name given to them because he knew who he was. You can call me whatever you want to call me, but you can't change my identity. You can't change who I knew to be true. He didn't object when they tried to teach him new things. You can teach me all about your culture. You can teach me all about your gods, but I'm pretty confident in my God, and there's nothing you can do to change that. But he did object when it came time to eat the food because this was in direct disobedience to God's word and God's orders because this food was food that was maybe one of three things. It was food that was possibly dedicated to pagan gods and pagan idols. So it would have been breaking God's law for them to eat that. It was not only that, but it wasn't necessarily kosher food. It would have been food that was forbidden under their Jewish dietary laws to eat. And then lastly, to eat a meal with somebody in that day and age meant to align yourself with them, to be in agreement and partnership with them. So they said, call me what you want. That's not going to change anything. Teach me what you want. That's not going to change anything. But I'm not going to defame the name of my God by eating this food. That's what he was saying. You can do whatever you want to do. You can take away my rights and what I think is important. But as soon as you try to, to dishonor my God, as soon as you try to disfame his name, as soon as you do that, that's where I'm going to have to draw a line in the sand. In order for him to do this, can I just be honest? It took conviction. It took courage. And it took a lot of discipline. I mean, it would have been much easier to just simply eat the food. Everybody else was doing it. All the, other, all the other Jewish boys were eating the food. They probably looked at him like, it's, a, it's nice being in Babylon. We don't have restrictions anymore. We can eat good food, drink good wine. This is the king's stuff. It's the best of the best. 
We can eat this. Nobody's here. No, our parents aren't here to tell us what to do. There's no, but God's, God's left us, right? He's abandoned us. He allowed this to happen. So he obviously doesn't care about us anymore. So we don't have to be concerned. It would have been much easier to just do that. Not only that, but standing up to the king could have some, uh, some pretty bad consequences. I mean, this was a ruthless king. We read about, and I believe in Jeremiah, we read about King Nebuchadnezzar. One of the times he captured the, the king of Judah, one of the kings of Judah at the time, he captured him and his sons. And he took the king and he took his sons and he murdered his sons right in front of the king's eyes. And then after he did that, he gouged out the king's eyes. So the last memory he has ever seen, the last thing he remembers seeing was his sons being murdered. That's a ruthless king. That's a ruthless man. That's a guy that you don't want to get on the wrong side of. Can we agree? That's a guy that you don't want to mess with. This could have had some bad consequences, but he was determined that he would not dishonor the name of his God. He drew a line in the sand when it came to that. And here's the thing. I don't think this was a decision he made in the heat of the moment. I don't think this was a decision he made when the food was in front of him. You know, I'm probably not going to eat that. I think this was a decision that he had predetermined. That he had resolved in his heart. That he said, listen, they're going to change a lot of things about us. But I'm going into this thing knowing as long as they make me do something that's against me, I'm going to roll with that. But if they do something that is against God, that's going to dishonor him and dishonor my commitment to him, that's where I'm going to stand up. That's where I'm going to stand out. That's where I'm going to make a choice, draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not going there. He had predetermined his mind. And I would argue that for many of us as followers of Christ, most of the battles and the things that we deal with in life, the successes or failures in those things, is not going to have to do with the decision we make in that moment, but the decision that we predetermined to make before that moment. Like when I used to talk to the teenagers and they, we would talk about, you know, living for God and, and, and every area of our life remaining pure for God and all these different kinds of things. I'd be like, listen, you're not going to make the decision to not have sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend before you're married while you're in the backseat of a car making out. It's not the tone. It's not going to be like, you know, I think we should stop. That's not going to happen. You've already lost the battle because you did not predetermine beforehand that what you were going to do. And I would say in our lives, when it comes to following Jesus, most of the wins or losses we're going to experience are going to have to be things that we've predetermined, that we've said, if, this, if it comes to this point, if it comes to this place, this is the decision I'm never going to make, or this is the decision I am going to make. I've predetermined, I've determined in my mind that I'm not going to dishonor God. I'm not going to, I'm going to honor God with my life above everything else. They can change other things, but they cannot change that thing. The third thing we're going to see when it comes to standing out is this. We need to make sure that we don't stand out for the wrong reasons. We need to choose our battles wisely. It takes wisdom. It takes humility to choose our battles wisely. Even though we're called to stand out, we need to do it in a way that ultimately honors God and draws people to him. If you stand out for the wrong thing or in the wrong way, that's not necessarily great either. We need to make sure that we're standing out for the right thing in the right way. And so Daniel had a plan when it came to his decision at this point to stand out. He had a plan not only to honor God, but to do it in a way that was respectful to the authority that God had allowed. You understand, God allowed this to happen. Terrible king, terrible people around him. God allowed them to be in this position. So Daniel still was respectful to the ungodly authority that God had put over him. Verse 9 through 14, it says this. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. Again, pretty good reason to not do it. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. 
Daniel said, and at the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. I love this. Daniel didn't throw a fit. He didn't stand up and be like, no, 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 no. We are Yahweh's people. We are not going to eat this food. Right? He didn't make this big revolt, this big stand. Instead, with wisdom and humility, he presented a plan. Respecting the authority above him and says, can we just try this? For just 10 days, can we just try this? Let's just test this out. Let's test God in this way. And if, and if we don't look better, he, he really put the ball in God's court. Test us in this. And if God honors us in this, and if God makes this happen, then, then you can choose from there. But just allow us 10 days to not defile ourselves and dishonor God in this way. You see, you can stand out for the right things in, a right, in the right way, a way that's honorable, a way that's respectful, or you can stand in the wrong way for the wrong things. And for many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times when it comes to the areas where we draw the line in the stand, we draw a line in the sand for things that are, are not necessarily the right things, sometimes the wrong things in the wrong way. They're not necessarily bad things, it's not like we're, draw, we're, 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 def, we're defending things that are bad things. They're, not they're just not necessarily the most important things. They're not necessarily the most eternal things. And we draw lines in the sand and we fight battles that God has really never called us to fight for him. And, and the, the problem that I see with that and the thing that I see is dangerous with that is when we do that all the time, we're constantly standing out for the wrong things or in the wrong way. We lose the ability to stand out for the right things in the right way because we've lost the respect of people because we've constantly stood out for the wrong things in the wrong way. And when we need to stand out for the right things, they just look at us like, well, you're always standing out for everything. And here's the thing, man, I know that the world that we live in right now is a little bit crazy. I know that there's many of us who are feeling the, the tension, so to speak. There, there's so many, I mean, social media right now is a, a storm of arguments and division, people getting mad at each other, friendships being broken, political stuff like crazy. It's just really, really, really easy to draw lines in the stand and stand up for things that aren't necessarily bad things, but they're often things that aren't the most eternal things. And then when we need to stand up for the right things, we lose the ability to stand up for those things because all we've ever done is stand up for the, the wrong things. And I just want to encourage you because I know it's a little bit scary, and I know there's all these questions, and I know at times we're like, well, what's our world going to look like in a couple years? What's our world going to look like? The morality we see in our country is just, you know, tanking all the time. If Daniel, as an exile in a godless land, under completely godless leadership, if he could stand strong, stand out, and make a difference in his world, then there is nothing that's stopping us. There's nothing. There is no, like, doesn't matter the circumstances. It doesn't matter the situation. It doesn't matter if it's ideal. If he can stand out and make a difference and he can live for God in his godless culture, then there's nothing stopping us from doing the same. They could make following Jesus illegal and guess what? They can't stop you. There's nothing they can do to stop you. Nothing. Again, listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't fight for people in leadership that have morals. Their situation's a little different. They were kind of captive. We have a vote, we should vote, and we should try to put people in leadership and have people in leadership that are moral. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it does not matter because Jesus is still our king, and we still serve him, and we can live for him no matter what's going on in our world. And I think we need to remind ourselves of that sometimes because we need to remember, no matter what's going on in our world, we can still honor God and live for him. 
We're going to make sure that we stand up for the right things. I want to encourage you with some scripture in Romans chapter 12 before we move on. Romans 12, verse 9 through 21 says this, Don't let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil and cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal, but be fervent in the spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. So if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on their head. Have you ever done that before? Some of you just mean to you and you're like, hey, here's a nice coffee. And they're like, did you poison it? I'm kind of a jerk. Like, no, man, I just want you to be blessed. This is like heaping fiery coals on their head. And I love verse 20, it says, don't be conquered by evil but conquer evil with good. We have a choice. We can stand for the wrong things, or we can even sometimes stand for the right things in the wrong way, or we can be like Daniel, and he stood out for the right things in a right way. And check out what happens. When you, when you know who you are, when you're confident in your identity, and you stand out for the right things in a way that honors God because you're determined above all else, I'm gonna live my life to honor God. I'm gonna stand out for the right things in the right way. What happens in Daniel 1, verse 15 through 21? It says this, at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked better, healthier, and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided by the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him more or as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. And whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of his magicians and enchanters in the entire kingdom. And Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. As we close this morning, if you're taking notes, I want you to just write this down. God honors our obedience. God honors when we stand out for the right things in the right way. God honors when we live our lives determined to honor God above all else. God honors those things. He rewards those things. The Bible says God gave them special talents and abilities. And can I just be honest, it wasn't because of the vegetables. Some of you are like, see, you should be a vegetarian. No, these weren't powerful vegetables. These were just normal vegetables. It wasn't because of the vegetables. It was because of their obedience. It was because of their obedience and their willingness to draw a line in the sand with the right things, the things that mattered most. It wasn't about their rights. It wasn't about what they wanted. It was about defaming the name of God. And because they chose that they weren't going to dishonor their God, they drew a line in the sand in the right place. God honored their obedience. They were supernaturally smarter than everybody else. Come on, some of you are in school and be like, I, I can't pass math. You need to eat your veggies in obedience and allow the Holy Spirit to give you supernatural smartness. So your parents are going to start using that. 
You'd be supernaturally smart. They were suit. God gave them the power. God gave Daniel the ability to interpret dreams. God gave them wisdom and influence. You understand? These were godless kings. There was other people that should have had the influence, yet God gave them the greatest influence in these foreign ungodly kingdoms because of their obedience. Now listen, I'm not saying when you're obedient, God's just going to heap all this blessing on your life and give you all kinds of place. That's not what this is trying to teach us. Because some people misquote that kind of stuff. It's saying when you honor God and you choose to walk in obedience to him, you keep yourself under the hand and the blessing of God. He's with you no matter what you go through. He's with you in the middle of the Babylons of life. He's with you in, in, this, in spite of the, the ungodly people around them. He was with them. And there's times where God blesses us in these types of ways. But our reason for doing it, our reason for standing out isn't so we can receive God's blessings, it's so we can pursue God's obedience. So we can simply be obedient to God. Because I think about this. I think about in Daniel's life, what if they weren't willing to stand out? What if they just chose to kind of blend in? They just kind of chose to be like everybody else and just blend in. You know what? Nothing historic would have happened. Nothing historic would have happened. Had he compromised in this first step, because we're going to see throughout Daniel that there was other opportunities with bigger consequences where he chose to draw a line in the sand and honor God above all else. And I think that if he wouldn't have started in this little area, this little area, he compromised here in this one little area, he would have never had the courage to stand up in those greater areas. Nothing historic would have happened if he just kind of went along with the flow. And it just makes me think, man, I don't know about you, but I would rather be remembered for standing out for Christ than forgotten for just blending in. I, I, I know that's our prayer. Like we want to be that, that, those followers of Christ, as followers of Christ. And I know, I know that's not just my prayer. I know that's your prayer as well. I would rather be remembered for somebody who, who stood strong for God, who stood out for Christ, who, who drew a line in the sand on things that actually mattered than somebody who just kind of went along with the flow and just kind of fit in. I just want to ask you as we, as we close this morning, would you just stand with me? We're going to end with some worship. I just want you to think about your life, especially if you're in here today and you're a follower of Christ. Think about your actions. Think about the, the, the things that, that, are, that are central to who you are. Does your life look different than those around you who are not followers of Christ? Does the things that consume your thoughts, do the things that, that are part of your behavior and your actions, does it look different? Or are you like the salt we talked about, Matthew, where it's salt that's kind of lost its saltiness or light that no longer shines? What does your life look like? Are you standing out for the right things in the right way? Have you drawn a line in the sand on the most important things? Have you determined that you're gonna honor God with your life, no matter what goes on in the world around you, no matter what the circumstances, because we like to use that as, a, as an excuse. Well, you don't know the world. Like, no matter what happens in your life, have you said, you know what? I've determined, I've predetermined that I'm gonna live for Christ. I'm gonna honor Christ. I'm gonna put him first. I'm, going, I'm not gonna let his name be dishonored. And that's our, our prayer as we close today. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you for the example that we have in Daniel, and the three young men who were young, possibly only teenagers at the time, who were willing to stand out for you, who chose not to compromise, who had deep-rooted convictions and a deep-rooted understanding in their identity that they determined and they resolved above all else that they would not dishonor their God. God, I pray that we would be convicted by their example. Lord, any areas in our life where we are not living for you, where we are compromising, where we have kind of just conformed to the world, God, I pray that you would show us those areas. 
Lord, that you would, that you would show us those things, even if it's uncomfortable, God, so that we can leave and we can live our life in a way that honors you. God, I pray that we would be people who stand out, but not for the wrong things. Let us be known by our love. Let us be known as people who love others, who serve others, even our enemies. God, I pray today, Lord, as we begin this new year, God, that you would continue to challenge us, that this would be a year of incredible spiritual growth in our church, but even more than that, in the individual lives of everybody in this room. We thank you, God, what you're gonna do. We give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Isn't it just like heaven When you walk into the room There's not a thing that's hidden When every eye is on you Can't get enough of your presence It's the perfect point of view Isn't it just like, just like, just like heaven Sound like, yeah, it sounds like, just like heaven.